Anthology presents Professor Challenger at the Edge of Eternity by Robert Thomas and Darren Freebury Jones, based on characters created by Arthur Conan Doyle. Part 6 On the Edge. Listeners, I'm certain you have been thoroughly aroused and entranced by my narrative thus far. You won't have forgotten that. After escaping from the villainous Theodore Harrison in India, Professor Challenger and I accidentally blew up a boat and we were stranded on the Pacific Ocean. To our luck, we became marooned on a desert island, but to our dismay, also nearly became desert. Lucky for us, Harrison and the evil Jenny Caliber arrived just in time forcing us to join their cause in exchange for a convenient rescue. The next few days were a blur. Harrison, though a frightfully dull American, was a wonderful host, and his privately chartered yacht, the 4th of July, with its well-stocked wine bar and excellent Michelin-star-holding chef, made good time from our desert island to the city of Lima, Peru. Time seemed to go by in, well, no time at all. And if it wasn't for the fact that he was such a bally villain, and his associate Jenny Caliber, the woman who murdered my beloved Evangeline Rockwell, such an unbearable bint, I would have rather enjoyed myself. Caliber continued to try and dig her claws into Challenger, but I couldn't for the life of me figure out why. We spent the day in Lima doing some sightseeing, and then set out on the long journey to the recently discovered lost city of Machu Picchu. The roof of the world, where, according to research that Challenger had undertaken, we would find the site of the Temple of the Moon, and the next piece of our puzzle. We wound our way up the Huayna Picchu, following the course of the Urubamba River by steamship until it bent at the foot of the Young Peak. From there, our climb began as we trudged slowly up the treacherous pathway that would lead us to the doors of the temple. Are we... Are we nearly there yet, Challenger? Very nearly. The Incas called this place the Roof of the World, and the Temple of the Moon was supposedly a place to worship the gods. I wonder if these gods were the gods we've already come across. The ancient astronauts who we have seen statues of across the world already. Was this another of their beacons, perhaps? A way station for the wary traveller? An airport for beings from another planet. I think you could be right, Challenger. The evidence certainly points... Look, look over there. Cut into the side of the mountain was the gateway to the Temple of the Moon. The inscriptions over the doorway were similar to those we had already seen. That must be it. The Temple of the Moon. Come on! The chamber we had entered became clearer as our eyes adjusted to the dark. It was bare except for some intricate carvings on the walls and a pedestal at the centre of the room, atop which I presumed the sun disk would sit. Challenger, look at this. Good spot, Peregrine. This must be where we slot the sun disk in. And if positioned at the correct place at the correct time of day, it will reveal the pathway of the children of eternity. And look, the inscription on this wall. When Mama Kilia is in full glory, the doorway to the Celestial Prince shall be illuminated. What does that mean, the Celestial Prince? I would imagine that the Celestial Prince is one of the children 
of eternity. So if you position the sun disk in the right way, then the door he used will open. I believe so. Well, what are you waiting for? Do it. The sun disk has a number of symbols on it, which can line up with a pictogram of the moon on this pedestal. So, if Mama Kelia, according to ancient Incan myth, is the moon goddess, then the night pictogram on the sun disk must line up with the moon. Here we go, then. He slotted the disk in and pressed down on the lever at the centre of the pedestal. There was a silence for a moment. Silence such as you could hear a pin drop, or the gurgling of the river far below us. Then, a roaring, crumbling, crushing sound as the wall before us began to fall away, sliding into the earth and revealing a pathway, a tunnel stretching deeper and deeper into the mountain. We were in awe. The pathway of the children of eternity. But where does it go? Only one way to find out. Is this a good idea? We don't know what we'll find below. No turning back now. Couldn't have said it better myself. Fear coursed through me, but I swallowed the trepidation and followed the others into the tunnel. Down and down we spiraled, as we seemed to do every time we entered one of these temples, but this time something was different. For the further we journeyed, the less the walls seemed to be carved, and the more they seemed to be lined with metal, as though this ancient tunnel had been constructed by a modern engineer. Were the children of eternity the forerunners of men like Brunel? What was this? But silence gripped me, and my words would not come to my lips as we reached the bottom of the tunnel. For stretching out before us like an enormous underground Paddington station was what appeared to be a train station terminal, where parked in sidings along the platform were a number of capsules, capsules that I could only imagine were ancient underground tube trains. Look at this place! It seems to be an ancient version of the London Underground. And look at these signs. They're in ancient Incan, but if you walk through it in the local dialect, we can read them. What do they say? They go to the temples in Egypt, in Cambodia... But this one, look, it says Atlantis. Good Lord! It can't be! This is impossible! Nothing is impossible, Professor Challenger. Please, call me George. Look, look at this one. Harrison ran to one of the carriages, which seemed to be open and waiting, lights inside illuminated. It's as if someone was waiting for us. Perhaps they were. End of the line, Harrison. Jenny! What are you doing with that gun? I'm afraid you've served your purpose now. And there's only room on this train for three. No. No, no, it, it can't be. The curate thanks you for your hard work, Harrison. But I'm afraid it's over for you. Jenny. You shot me. We was just getting to know each other. I was stunned to silence but looked to Caliber. Suddenly. Even for me, it all made sense. Why they had kept us alive, why they had engineered every situation to ensure our survival, and why Caliber had been getting so close to Challenger. You are required at the edge of eternity, Professor Challenger. What do you mean, required? We can't keep the curate waiting any longer. Step on board the transport. You as well, Peregrine. I stepped into the carriage and sat down. 
It all came flooding back to me. The voice of Edward Malone and his dying words, as if he had spoken them to me across the realms of life and death, was all I could hear in my ears. I had made a terrible, terrible mistake. For Malone, his voice racked with pain, had not been able to tell me the full message. Malone was not asking me to find Challenger, but rather warning me not to let them find Challenger. The capsule sped through the underground tunnels like a bullet that had been fired from Challenger's revolver. We were safely contained inside the protective carriage, but pressed against the wall of the vehicle as it travelled at hundreds, perhaps thousands of miles an hour, through the network of tunnels. I had no idea what ungodly machinery was driving our progress, and I had no desire to know. The pit of fear building in my stomach was now more like an avocado stone than an apple pip, and my silence was noted and appreciated by Challenger, who similarly sat sullen. There was a screeching whir of brakes being applied, and our speed rapidly decreased. The light grew among us, almost blinding as we reached our destination. The doors hissed open, and we were led out of the station. At the top of a flight of stairs, we entered another chamber. Wide windows looked out over an icy plain. Snow-capped mountains and glaciers stretched in every direction. There was a plateau before the chamber, and at the centre of the plateau, what appeared to be an enormous cylinder. Challenger approached the window and looked out. I've seen one of those before. Where? Do you remember the invasion of Earth by the Martians about 25 years ago? Well, I was a much younger man then, but hadn't they taken parts of London and of Surrey? Indeed. I was abroad and rushed back to help in this effort against the Martians. This war of the worlds, one might call it. By the time I arrived, they had succumbed to their inability to adapt to our atmosphere, diseases, and English women. I assisted in the destruction of their ships and the cremation of their bodies. And that, my dear Peregrine, is a Martian spaceship. Bravo, Professor Challenger. Bravo. Does this start to make sense now? Who are you? I am the curate, and this is my outpost. Outpost? What sort of outpost? My retreat, where I wait for my Martian overlords to prepare for their return. You may have gathered that over the centuries our world has been visited by a number of extraterrestrial creatures recorded by the ancient Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans. Almost all cultures have, at some point in their ancient history, been visited by the celestial men. Indeed, it was when they landed in England by mistake that I was captured by the Martians and brought here to one of their outposts before they fled this world. I once feared the Martians, Challenger, as many do, but I have seen the light, and now I must set in place the final pieces of my plan to facilitate their return. For you see, you're quite right, George. They were killed by their lack of inoculation. And of all the candidates in the world to choose to create their medicine from, why, <laughs> the great adventurer, 
George Edward Challenger seemed to me to be the best. And thus, you are here. The long way round, I'm afraid. But here, nonetheless. You're a fool if you think I'll help you. It is not my intention for you to have a choice in the matter. Now, sit down. Go to hell! I shan't ask nicely again. Sit down. My guard's weapons are of Martian design, so you can be assured that your disintegration will be thorough. Observe my machine. It will channel the power of the Martians into your brain in varying degrees of severity. For instance, if I were to tell you that this is the lowest setting... The stench of burning flesh hit my nose, and I watched with horror as pain raced through Challenger. The electrical storm tearing across his body, his nipples standing to attention. It was... well, it was shocking. Then perhaps you will understand my seriousness. I will need a vial of your blood, Professor Challenger. Why my blood? Why? To develop an immunization against the germs and diseases of this planet, Professor Wiles. Once I have a vial of your blood, I will be able to protect my Martian overlords from every disease in the world. Barring syphilis, of course. Of course. Nevertheless, I must ask that you give me your blood now. Challenger. Never. I shall take your blood anyway, Challenger, whether you are dead or not. I'll... You must choose. Never. Choose sensibly. you. Roaring in pain, Challenger fought desperately to free himself from the torture, struggling against his restraints. But even his gargantuan strength would not loosen the bonds, and the electricity continued to rush through him. Enough! This torture is pointless, both emotionally and narratively speaking. I shall take your blood anyway, Professor, whether you like it or not. One of the guards handed the curate a vial and a syringe, which he plunged into Challenger's neck. What a nasty little prick. Too weak to fight them, Challenger and I could only watch as they extracted his blood. When the curate was satisfied that he had enough to provide his Martian employers with, he released the restraints and Challenger fell heavily to the ground. You have been very helpful, gentlemen. Jennifer? Yes, sir? Come. We must leave at once for the Red Planet. We have no time to lose. The Martians will be expecting us, and the invasion has already been delayed for long enough. Very well, sir. I'll be along in a moment. I'm sorry it had to end like this, George. Not as sorry as I am. Perhaps in another life? That can be arranged. They have an old saying in France. Au revoir. But not farewell. They have a saying where I'm from, too. And you're full of it. Goodbye. She left, following the curate into the bowels of the base, presumably heading for the cylinder, which through the window I could see was entering the final stages of preparation. Challenger and I were left with two guards who moved in for the kill. End of the wine, voice. End of the line, indeed. Didn't Miss Caliber make that joke just before she shot Theodore Harrison? Yes. Challenger lashed out at the first guard, wrestling the gun off him and clubbing him over the head, before turning the gun on the other guard. Drop it, now. Challenger, what are you doing? We only have a few minutes. We need to stop that rocket 
kill the curate, and save the world. Take that guard's gun. Don't move. Otherwise, my friend Perry here will blow his load right inside you. If we hurry, Peregrine, we might stop the invasion. Come on! We hurried through the corridors of the base, our hearts beating faster than the blaring klaxons of the alarms as the countdown to the launch began. We finally arrived at the entrance to the main hangar, just as the gangplank was removed and the door to the rocket closed. I could just see the figures of Jenny Caliber and the curate as the doors closed. Come on, it's about to go. We need to get aboard. Grab onto the struts. We'll need to climb to the porthole and shoot our way in. The rocket is about to take off. Then time is of the essence, and we haven't the time to argue. We grabbed onto the edge of the rocket and had barely begun to climb when the doors to the hangar closed, and with a loud hiss, something began to happen. What is happening? We're beginning to take off. Hold on tight. If you fall, you'll be roasted alive by the engines. And with that, the engines kicked in and we were off, rushing skyward. The pressure was intolerable, but my terror gave me strength and I clung on for dear life. Challenger, we need to get inside. I'm working on it. You better be quick. He was firing two shots into the door of the ship, which opened a fraction. He pulled himself inside the ship, then, reaching for me, pulled me on board. There. The hull has been sealed. What? What do we do now? We have to find a way to turn this thing around. There came a rumbling, and then it seemed as though the engines had shut themselves off. What was that? It would appear... My dear Peregrine, that we have reached the edge of eternity. We stepped into the porthole and saw below us that the earth was falling away. The stars were around us and we had reached beyond the atmosphere of our planet. We were now in space. Space? The edge of eternity was space. And the children of eternity were the astronauts who visited our planet. The eternity vessel, their superweapon, was the Martian fleet, or rather, a Martian fleet that could survive the assault on our planet. My blood was needed for the success of the Eternity Vessel, and they had waited thousands of years for the right candidate. Indeed. Now, with that exposition out of the way, we must find a way of destroying this spaceship. Destroying? That would kill us as well. Unfortunately, Peregrine, we have no other choice. We headed directly for the engine rooms. The spaceship was silent, and I gathered that the only occupants were ourselves and the two villains in the cockpit. We reached the engine room and set about destroying the engines. There. One shot from this Martian blaster, and the whole ship will go up. Stop right there, you two. Just our luck. The curate and Jenny Caliber, both brandishing their futuristic weapons. Shut up, Peregrine. This is over, curate. One shot into the spatial reactor, and this whole ship will go up. This will never be over! The curate prepared to pull the trigger, but before he could, Jenny Caliber grabbed the rifle and they grappled, the shot firing in the wrong direction and damaging the engines. Caliber, you fool! You have destroyed the engines! Seizing his opportunity, Challenger grabbed for the curate, 
and they battled. There's now a war among the stars. A star war, one might call it. And our trek now seemed to be a star trek. But treks must come to an end. And in this undiscovered country, our phantom menace seemed to have gained the upper hand. His strength was unexpected, and he had pinned Challenger against the spatial reactor, which seemed ready to blow at any moment. Why can't you just be a good little boy and die? Looks like your friends have bailed. What? What? That, that makes no sense. Sorry. This is it, Challenger. Say your prayers! George! My love! Run! There's an escape pod. You must go. Jenny! What are you doing? What I should have done a long time ago. No, Jenny! It's too late for me now, but at least I can redeem myself. Goodbye, my love! She pressed a button and the airlock flew open, sucking them off into never-ending ether. We were nearly sucked off as well, but fortunately the doors closed and the pressure returned to our doomed craft. Jenny, no! Looks like our friends have bailed. Yes, well done. Well, come on, Peregrine. We dashed to the escape pod, jumping in and shutting the door. Shame about this caliber. Not really. Challenger pulled the release and we were away, jettisoned into space, away from the Martian cylinder, falling back towards Earth. In the porthole, As we span, we could see the cylinder erupt, a colossal explosion as the spatial reactor disintegrated. Then the debris was nothing but a million shooting stars, fading into the blackness of space, now a distant memory, carrying the remains of Challenger's stolen blood into eternity. There it goes. The Eternity Vessel is no more. We have saved the world, Challenger. This is amazing. Wait until I send my article to the Daily Gazette. No one will believe it, Philip. They never do. The Lost World, the Poison Belt, the Edge of Eternity. They're just stories. But this story has proof? You just watch the proof disintegrate. So, you're saying that I won't be a prize winner for this. A prize moron, perhaps. Was Malone a winner? We thought he was a crackpot. A terrible fate. But one better than that suffered by Jenny Caliber and the curate. We were lucky to escape with our lives. There is still time for us to be killed on this adventure, Peregrine. So I wouldn't count your kangaroos yet. I see. It's a long way to London from Antarctica, Philip. And unfortunately, I have a feeling that Antarctica is exactly where this escape pod is going to end up. Oh, bugger. And to make matters worse, they do not have any macropods in Antarctica. I see. We continued to fall, passing through the atmosphere and heading back towards Earth. The two of us were pensive, for we had been through a lot together, and now our adventure had reached its climax. It drew my mind back to my study that evening, and to the last breath of a dying colleague of mine, a journalist named Malone, who coincidentally was the author of a number of tall tales that had carried me from the rain-drenched, smog-shrouded streets of London 
across the vast deserts of Africa, and thereafter had whisked me away on the adventure of my life. The evening had begun like any other, but the story, as it came to an end, had been like nothing that I had ever told before, and nothing that I will ever tell again. Professor Challenger at the Edge of Eternity starred Robert Durbin as Philip Peregrine, Darren Freebury-Jones as Professor Challenger, James Lawrence as Theodore Harrison, Evelyn Campbell as Jenny Caliber, and Robert Thomas as the Curate. You've been listening to an anthology production written and directed by Robert Thomas and Darren Freebury-Jones. <laughs>